All right, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 this evening. Ecclesiastes. It's the Old Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Ecclesiastes. <laughs> yeah, if you need to go to the front of the Bible and look, ain't nobody watching. It's fine. It's okay. These little books like Ecclesiastes, Hosea, Micah, Obadiah, Ruth, there, Ezra, sometimes are a little, uh, little, little less worn than uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians. And uh, <clears throat> as I mentioned last week, you don't find a whole lot of commentaries on the book of Ecclesiastes. And as you get into it, you, you realize why. Because it is, a, it is a difficult book, and a lot of people look at it from different ways. And I'm just, I'm, I'm taking it from one way. Uh, I've read several different commentaries and men that I respect and, of course, studying it. And we looked at last week, the, really, the person behind this, the writer, or obviously the, the, the divine writer is the Holy Spirit, the human writer is Solomon. He wrote, of course, this book, Proverbs, and also uh, the book of Song of Solomon, that book that you read all the time, I'm sure. <clears throat> That's a little joke now. That's a little joke. <laughs> but this book, Ecclesiastes, uh, it's, it's an interesting book. But as I mentioned, this is Solomon coming towards the end of his life. He calls himself the preacher. Uh, when he was young, he, he wrote uh, the book of Song of Solomon, obviously, in his youth. And then when he's a bit older, he has children now. He writes the, this book called Proverbs. And then he writes at the end of his life, after he pretty much had failed, and we talked about he talked about his life, how God had given him a, a, a wonderful beginning. Uh, he was the son, of course, of David and Bathsheba, their second son. The first son died because of sin. Uh, God blessed uh, Solomon. He was a man of peace. He, God used him to build the, one of the greatest uh, buildings that's ever been built on earth, the temple there. We talked about his wealth. We talked about his wisdom. We talked about the warning that God gave him, that how God was going to bless him. And, and make him one of the wisest men that ever walked the earth and uh, bless, his, bless his family, but he had to continue obeying, obeying God. And you know what? That, that's true with us today. As I mentioned last week, obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings conflict. You obey God, man, your life is peace. Not, not, not always, not free from storm, but still peace. You can have peace in the midst of the storm. When you're in the will of God, when you're outside the will of God, life can be perfect and, and it will be trouble for you. You can have everything in the world. You can have all the trinkets, all the toys. You can have the nicest cars, the nicest house. But if you're living outside the will of God, your life is going to be regret, pain and, and, and trouble, gloom, despair and agony. And you don't even know it yet. You don't even know it yet. And that's the, the bad, the worst part for many folks, most folks who who don't know Jesus Christ is they're heading to a godless eternity and they don't even know it. And that's why we preach the gospel and share the gospel, evangelize, support missionaries so folks will know about it. So it comes to the end of his life, this preacher in this book, remember we talked Ecclesiastes and we, we, are, we are part of a, uh, the ecclesia. We're a group, we're a church. And he's gathering these people together to tell them, give them some wisdom, to help them understand some things. Uh, at the end of his life, 
because he doesn't want to just end his life without sharing the knowledge that God has given him. So he does this, and we talked about at the end of the matter, he concludes with turning to God and saying, fear God and keep his commandments. But in the beginning of it, we, he asked basically the question from these verses, is life meaningless? We read it in, in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Verse 2, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit of the man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth towards the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth, uh, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to its circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers come. Thither they return again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. Thank you for allowing us to be in your house and for everyone who came this evening to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to know your word and to fellowship and to sing these wonderful songs. Bless their obedience, their loyalty to you. I pray that you'd guide them in their life and help us, Lord, as we look at this blessed book and your divine words uh, to us even today, even though this was written thousands of years ago, help us to learn the lessons from the life of Solomon to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A pastor once wrote an article about a, a mother who walked into her five-year-old son's bedroom. He was sitting there with the shoes in his hand, crying. And mom said to the son, Son! Why are you crying? And he said, Mom, I just tied my shoes for the first time. And she said, Well, why are you crying about that? He said, I just realized I have to do this every day. <laughs> do you feel like that sometimes? <laughs> I got I to gotta take care of the cows. I got to go to work. I got to put on these clothes. I got to every day teach this class, drive down this road every day, every day. At five years old, the poor soul was already shot. <laughs> oh, this is just the cry of five-year-olds. I hear a lot of folks who are 55 and 65 and 85. Ask these same questions. <laughs> Why do I have to, what I do, does it really matter in life? Do, did anything I accomplish have any lasting value? Am I simply condemned to repeat a list of chores and responsibilities all over again? Do I have to clean this house every week? Do I have to wash these dishes every week? Do I have to run the vacuum cleaner every week? Do I have to wipe the dust off this place every day? Uh, some people now are like every day. They're neat nicks. You gotta have every little, every little thing's gotta be in this place, and every every place has its, you know, every little order, all these little order, little thing. You ever go to somebody's house like that and just move something? <laughs> and they'll kind of look at you like, what'd you do? <laughs> Uh, in some places you go in, it's like a, you got a little path to go because you got stuff that high over there and stuff that high over there. You got one little path. That's all you got. 
I've, I've been in those houses, and those folks said they were Christians, and I, I, I wondered about that. <laughs> Does anything in life really have any meaning beyond this endless cycle, or am I trapped in some type of cage? Am I just that little rat, that gerbil that goes round and round and round and round? I'm busy as a bee, but I'm not getting anywhere. Is life meaningless? Is life meaningless? <clears throat> well, Solomon begins asking this question. Oh, I turn it on, actually. And he says in verse 2, <laughs> Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, how many times have you read a verse and it says and has the same word or basic same word five times in it? I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> so you say, what in the world does vanity mean? Well, interesting enough, as I studied a little bit about it, the fourth century, in the fourth century, there was a church leader you may have heard of by name Jerome. He translated this Hebrew word Hebel, Hebel, into uh, Latin using the word vanitas. And vanitas was a transliterative vanity in many trans English translations for centuries to come. Now, when you and I think vanity, uh, we think of maybe being vain. You know, at this point, some of you may be singing some songs like that. I wouldn't actually sing that song in church, but some of you might be singing it. But this was his favorite word. If you uh, his favorite word, and if you look up the word in the Hebrew lexicon, you discover that it means vapor or breath. It basically means nothing. There's nothing. A secondary meaning can be trans translated fruitlessness, futility, frail frailty, senselessness, desperation, frustration. So when you see this word vanity, don't think you know being in vain or you're a vain person. Uh, you think of something that just doesn't, it's, 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 it's nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing. How and I use this word today is similar to uh, learning the terms meaning through the context. Sometimes you say you love your wife, but you also say you love football. Now, they can't be the same. It better not be the same. <laughs> You, you say you love coffee. You say you love reading. You say you love mountains. You say you love crossword puzzles. You say you love teaching, but we say love, and love has several different definitions, right? Because the love you have for your spouse should be a little bit different than your love for coffee. At least I hope it is. Because if not, I'm available for marriage counseling tomorrow all day long. Okay? <laughs> So what is Solomon basically saying? He's effectively claiming that everything on earth and life to the highest degree can be described as either totally empty, entirely meaningless, or absolutely futile. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He actually uses this word 37 times. Vanity, vanity, vanity. Verse 3. What profit hath a man in all his labors which he taketh under the sun? And this is another very important phrase that he uses throughout the, throughout the scriptures here. The phrase under the sun is another of expressions. He will write the words under the sun 29 times. In fact, Ecclesiastes is the only book where you'll actually find this expression under the sun. So he's a man who's lived his life under the sun, meaning he's gone through trials, he's gone through problems, he's gone through difficulties. 
This is not a young man who's writing. This is not a middle-aged man who's writing this. This was an elderly gentleman at the end of his life is writing this who's been through, as we know through Solomon, a whole lot of trouble. He's been at the very peak of the history of Israel, and he's been to the very bottom. He's seen it at its very best, and now at the very end, he's seeing it come all apart. He's seeing his son, who he loves, that, that little Rehoboam who ran around the house, now look like a rebel. And that's what he was. He was a rebel. He's seeing all the things that he'd done with his hands, all the work, all the prayers, all the things that he'd hoped and dreamed for come undone. And you know what? That happens pretty often in life. As I mentioned before last week, we sometimes we think that life is just, you know, uh, one man and one wife, they ride off into the sunset and everything's, everything is just wonderful and great. But that's not always true. I know people who are going to die in the nursing home. That's how they're going to spend the rest of their life in a nursing home. Is that how you would want to end your life? I wouldn't. Some people are going to die writhing in pain. Some people are going to die broke. Not a penny to their name. Think of that singer. Who was that gentleman we went and saw his life of, Angie, in Kentucky? That guy who sang that song. Yeah, Stephen Collins Foster. He wrote so many wonderful songs. Yeah, way down upon the Swanee River. He ended his life a drunk and broke. Wow. So if you look at it from perspective of someone who's, who's been under the sun, it's difficult. <clears throat> but I remind you that Solomon is, is, is doing this from a perspective of someone who really doesn't know God who's outside of God. Because without God, the reality is life has no purpose. There's no purpose outside of God. You get up, you go to work, you go to bed. You do a few things. Oh, you may go something nice, maybe go to your hometown or go to Disney or go down somewhere and you have some kids and you grow the family. But the end of the li without life, without God at the end, is means nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. A popular magazine some time ago categorized, cataloged, cataloged the answers to questions, why are we here? A taxi driver by the name of Jose Martinez got right to the point when he responded, we're here just to live and then die. I do some fishing, tape my girl out, pay some taxes, do a little reading, and then I get up to drop dead. He said, life is a big fake. The only cure for world's illness is nuclear war. Wipe everything out and start again. I don't know if I want to get in that guy's taxi. Nobel, Nobel Prize winner in literature in the 1900s, you heard of Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace. He said, at the age of 50, brought me to the very verge of suicide. A question without an answer to which one cannot live is this. What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my life? What will, why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Is there any meaning to my life that doesn't 
that, that, that death does not destroy. Solomon basically says, what does man gain by all the toil for which he toils under the sun? Why toil? Why work? Why get up and do it over and over and over again? Why? Verse 4, it says, oh, ah, oh, got a little graphics. I didn't even notice that. One generation, well, it didn't last for long. One generation passes away, another generation cometh, but the earth ab abideth forever. So Solomon is saying, have you noticed yet how the earth seems to remain as steady as ever, but we do nothing but come and go? Do you know this earth that we live on? There's 100, 158,904 people, people die every day. Every day. At the rate of nearly two people every second. Two people die. On earth just keeps on revolving at the same speed, at the same course. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And at the end of a year, 55 million people die on earth. 55 million people die every year. That's a lot. The earth continues to go, continues to ro rotate. I was thinking about this area specifically. I studied a little bit about the background of our, this area in Gainesville. I read that when Europeans met, first made contact with this area, the Potano Indians lived in this area. But, of course, Europeans came in. Some of the, the Indians were enslaved. Some of them died because of disease, war. And then Spanish colonists began to uh, cattle ranching this area, and, the, of course, the Payne's Prairie area in the 18th century, century, the Spanish seceded to Florida, to the United States in 1821. Gainesville was established in 1854 and named after Edmund P. Gaines. The town of Gainesville was incorporated in 1869 and chartered as a city in 1907. Interesting enough, the University of Florida used to be in Lake City. Did you know that? But it moved to Gainesville in 1906. And it was simplified simply to the name. It used to be the University of the State of Florida. It became the, the University of Florida in 1909. But the earth remains. Generations come and go from Indians to settlers to soldiers to farmers. They come and they go. Verse 5. The sun also ariseth, the sun goeth down, and hasteth to the place where it rose. This morning the sun rose at 7.02 a.m. It actually rose at 7.02 a.m. And it's, it's going to set, it already set tonight at 6.24 p.m. It comes up and it goes down every day, doesn't it? It doesn't skip a day. It doesn't take a holiday. It doesn't take a rain check. It doesn't sleep in. It doesn't say, I'm, I'm going to think about it and not do it today. <laughs> it starts and it ends. The sun that people see today is the same sun that warmed Solomon over 3,000 years ago. The same sun. Verse 6. The wind goeth towards the south and turneth about to the, into the north. It, it whirleth about continually. The wind returneth again according to its circuith. Solomon loved the idea of the wind. He talks about it quite a bit. But interesting enough. 
what he learns about global circulation of the atmosphere, even before he could scientifically prove the existence of the jet streams of Earth, science, the Bible proves science to be true. The Bible proves science. The science doesn't prove the Bible. The Bible proves science. He was fascinated with this. He observes the fact. He observes the fact that mankind cannot change the direction of the wind. The wind just keeps on blowing, and it seems to be on course. Mankind can't change. He referred to it in the Song of Solomon six times. In the book of Proverbs, he'll refer to the wind 14 times in Ecclesiastes. Interesting. We were at the uh, Lancaster Correctional Institute on Saturday morning, and I was hoping the wind would stop blowing. It was about 45 degrees, and this southern boy is like, please stop blowing. Please stop blowing. Now it's 80-some degrees. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. <laughs> Verse 7, he says, All the rivers run to sea, and yet the sea is not full into the place from whence the rivers come. Thither they run it, uh, return again. <clears throat> There's a sense of, of cycles and repetition in nature. The reference here to rivers or streams, a reference to the winter streams which take their water to the sea and the next year they have an abundant supply to do it over again. Again, he's talking about nature. It seems like things just go on and on and on and on. The wind keeps blowing. The sun keeps rising. The earth keeps rotating. You don't forget, this is Solomon, where he's generations ago. And he's saying those things back then. And they have continued from his time unto our time. Remember, he's writing from the perspective of someone whose gaze is going higher than the sun. He's describing life without God. This is life. What's he saying here? This is life without God. One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth. The sun ariseth, and the earth goeth down, hasteth to his place. He's, he's writing, letting folks know what life is like without God. Aren't you glad that life isn't like that for us? For most folks, life really is meaningless. Life is meaningless. But for a Christian, dear friends, we have meaning. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus Christ stepped out of eternity into time. The eternal one stepped into time and was born in a manger in a place called Bethlehem. I went to Bethlehem. The first, one of the first things I saw was a big old picture of, of Santa Claus. I said, Santa Claus is even here in Bethlehem. He's, taking, he's trying to take his place even over, even over here in Bethlehem. And I looked over to another place and there were Starbucks. <laughs> I said, Santa Claus is Starbucks, even over here in Bethlehem. And the place where they say he's, he's bare, he, he was born is really a, a gaudy um, church, the Church of the Nativity, which you had to pass through two armed guards to get into, and you had to smile and be, behave yourself, or you wouldn't get into that place. We, we, we stayed in the line for about 20 minutes so we could get to that actual spot, and we were in line. Then you had to go down into this, uh, like almost like a cave-like area, or, or, or down these steps to this place where one place is where he was born, another place is where they believe his manger was at. There was a line going down in there, of course, people taking pictures and all this. 
But as you look into that place, you saw all these, all these idols and all these pictures and all these things. And you think, how different was this place if this was the place when Jesus was born? There was no church there. There was no gold. <laughs> there, was, there was no fine fixtures. There was no gaudy paintings. No, it was a manger. He was born in a, in a horse trough, food trough, so we could have everlasting life. But his life and ultimately his death makes life meaningful. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I carry on. Life is not meaningless. There's a purpose in life. You have a purpose in life. Success in life is finding God's free will for your life and doing it. I hope every one of you at this point of your life have found God's will for your life and you are doing it. You are completing it. You're a part of it. He came to redeem a people who are broken. He came to heal a folks, folks who were helpless, hapless, and ultimately homeless. And even when you and I give a cup of cold water in the name of an apostle, it has meaning. There's reward. Without God, life is pointless. With God, life has purpose. Without God, life is a series of accidents. With God, life is a series of assignments. Paul the Apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye, there, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, dear friends, Time is fleeting, and what we do for Jesus Christ will matter. What are you doing for Jesus Christ? What has he asked you to do? You don't have to be a preacher or a deacon to have a calling upon your life. No, I believe every Christian has a calling. You just got to ask what it is, God, what it is. It might not be the same, but it might be something. It's something. What is, what, does, what is God's will for your life? What are you doing specifically knowing it's God's will for your life and you're doing it? You're endeavoring to do it. Some of you the first time are choosing to read your Bible. Miss Wilma, you're already done. She done finished the Bible already. It's not even March yet. Starting over. Praise God. Maybe some other thing you chose to do, you believed it was God's will for your life. Maybe give a track once a day or, or witness to somebody or come to church more, whatever it may be. Make life meaningful because your life is full of Christ. The more you put Christ in your life, the more meaningful it's going to be. Only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I want what I do for in this life to matter a billion years from now. And you know what, friend? The more time we focus on this book, because it's going to last forever. It's forever settled in heaven. And the more time we spend on the souls of men and women and boys and girls, those things are going to last forever. 
That's why we do all we can to get the word of God into the lives of people. Because that's going to matter forever. Are you a part of that adventure? Are you a part of getting the word of God into the lives of people? Oh, you say, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. I'm not a missionary. You don't have to be a missionary. Maybe it's just texting a friend, a cousin, a sister, a verse. It matters. On your social media, posting something that you were challenged with, with the word of God, it matters. I can't tell you how many times in my life just someone giving me a verse of encouragement at a, at a, at a pivotal moment helped me profoundly. And may God be using you to encourage somebody, strengthen somebody by getting the word of God, which is forever, into the lives of people, which are forever. May God help us to do it. May life be meaningful for each of us today. Father, thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you as Christians, Lord, Lord, we have life, an everlasting life. We're thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. So we're not just walking around this earth without any hope, without any help. Just knocking big rocks into little rocks, going to work, living in a rat, rat, rat race, Counting the hours, buying things, selling things, living for nothing to spend a Christless eternity in a place of torture and place pain called hell. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that I'm, I'm not going to hell today. Thank you that because of you, my life is meaningful. Maybe you're here this morning or this evening and you've gotten discouraged your life. Maybe you feel like your life is a rat race. <laughs> Maybe you feel like you're not doing anything. You're just going to work or going to school or doing this and going that. You feel like life just has any purpose. Maybe you've been encouraged tonight. Maybe you need encouragement. And say, preacher, would you pray for me? I need to put, for, for put God more in my life. I need more of God in my life. I need to put God the focus of my life. I need to love God more. I want my life to mean something. I want my life to count. Would you pray for me tonight? Anybody like that? Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. If you're not here tonight, if you're here tonight, you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd love to talk to you afterwards, myself or my wife. We'd love to share the gospel with you and so you know you can be saved. But as the music plays tonight and you stand to your feet, if God has spoken to your heart tonight, maybe you feel like nothing matters. That God doesn't care. I'm just existing. I'm just here. Oh, may God encourage you tonight. Ask God to help you. Ask God to strengthen you. Ask God to show you from your word, from his word, that your life does matter, that you're not a mistake. You're here for a purpose, a reason, that your life counts for something. Oh, God, help us to realize that you love us, you care for us. And we're here to do your will. Maybe you're struggling with God's will tonight and not knowing it or not doing it. If the altar is open tonight, would you come and say, Lord, I want to do your will. Maybe you've not been doing God's will. Maybe you've been doing your own will. Going your own way. Would you make the decision tonight to say, Lord, I'm, I want to do your will. I want to please you with my life. Whatever's left of it, I want to please you.